Okay, well, we can, we can be a little official. Okay, so uh, welcome everybody uh, to Parallax View. I have Luke Bankney here with us. He's a German uh, with a with a very strong Australian accent. <laughs> it's entirely <laughs> fake. He just puts it on so that he can sound very um, I don't know. So he can sound tough. I think that's what yeah. you, the way you do it, isn't it? Isn't it, Luke? <laughs> We were talking about roasting at the beginning, so we begin our sessions by always by roasting people. But you're doing a course uh, on Parallax called The Hard Way, beginning in January yes. on the great George Gurdjieff, which both me and Tom are extremely fond of. And you also do a, a sort of a fourth way group with us here weekly at, at Parallax. So, so I want to encourage everybody to come and, and take Luke's course because I think it's going to be powerful that's my sense um and uh and then i just want to just introduce you to to everybody so 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 luke tell me a bit about yourself and your relationship to gurdjieff and a bit about the course oh, okay that's that's a couple of big questions um well it, it, I, I think probably i've i've had a journey like any other uh, so born in australia um in the country uh, raised in a nice, healthy Christian um, uh, community, and somewhere along the way, I I lost something. I don't know what it was, whether it was through education, just the world, um, but there was there was something I think through my teenage years that I felt that I was missing, couldn't quite formulate it, and then. When I got into university and started to throw myself into books, and uh, I was doing science at that at that stage, there was there was just a a great deal of questions which was thrown up for me, as well as at that point my life was in a bit of turmoil, so that sort of naturally brought me to asking questions and reading more, and uh, I tried a number of things, uh, Zen, kind of Buddhism, uh, sort of went back to my Christian roots a bit, nothing. Nothing kind of fitted. Um, so this this itch, this yearning got more and more and more. And then I I came across a book by Ospensky uh, and I started to read it. That was In Search of the Miraculous. And I think just about on every page was the same questions that I had and almost the same search. It was It was like I had read that book before. And so this odd person called G, uh, which Aspensky referred to, I kind of jumped in and um, started to read more of more of Gurdjieff. And I just found that this guy, this crazy wisdom um, that came through just resonated. I don't know why, I don't know how, it just did. And I thought I better follow this through and uh, contacted some people um, in Australia and really, sort of twenty-two years, twenty-three years later, the the rest is the rest is history. In the sense of, I really felt that there was something in it for me. In the sense of, I wanted to try something in life, but to also have a fairly concrete method. And all the other methods that I was exposed to with science and and all those things. Um, uh, though they had something in them, seemed to also be missing something. And also I, I, I seemed to resonate with the character 
of Georgiev. Um, he was very much like a couple of uncles that I used to have. Um, one of them was a was a Papa Len. He was a he was a an odd character, um, and a couple. This is of an other... Australian word, Papa Len, I, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, he was kind of English, um, and then I had my papa and then my my children have their fafa so it's I'm, I'm not quite sure what the german roots are tom maybe you know more. um but uh, we sort of have these fondnesses for you know uncles and aunties and and um, and and grandparents but i seem to always gravitate to people who are slightly odd uh, there was some mystery about them where everyone else i sort of felt in life was almost drone like um sort of that was always with... my impression of Gurdjieff, okay. that, that there is this oddity, then there is uh, humor, and then yes. there's toughness. And, yeah. you know, especially, you know, in my age and in my younger days, when, when I was looking for teachers, it resonated me, with me because I didn't want to be with, you know, the, the hippies and the, the, the people just, just surf by spiritually. I, I wanted <laughs> to have a challenge. You know, and and I felt that you know that Gurdjieff is a tough, mean son of a bitch if he wanted yeah. to. So yeah. and that he would test you, and that he would have humor. So it's like this uncle that is uncompromising with you. That was my impression back then, and that you know, yeah. it's like that that resonated with me a lot. You know, because yeah. you know, it's like at that age, you you look for not only for adventure but something to test your strength, your inner strength. You know, and so that that was it for me, basically. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And I was the same, Tom. I, I needed that challenge. I felt as though I was missing a ritual or uh, something that would, would allow me to go through the fire and find out who I really was um, And because I, I felt fake and I just went. And, and so, yes, that, that toughness, almost meanness, uh, the discipline, the military kind of warrior type, I needed that. I needed to be punched in the face, right? right. That's what yeah. I needed. Yeah. Punched, and, yeah, and, and <laughs> metaphorically as well, because I had that feeling reading Gurdjieff that it's a punch, right? It really yeah. hurts to hear what he has to say. Uh, he, he, he hurts your image of yourself, your, you know, your, your, and your illusions. He, he goes right to the to the guttural, and I think at the beginning of his book, he even says that his his purpose is to kind of break down all of our fantasies and illusions. That, that, that's like yeah. the first step. It's this breakdown process. Yeah, because yeah. it was. I'm I'm sorry. It was like a lot, as far as I remember, also about you know automatic processing that he wanted to disrupt. And I'm I'm just yeah. thinking rethinking this because I mean we think we are aware in our daily lives, but then you know completely automatic when in a, within our dreams. But in fact, most of our daily lives is automatic. We're just so accustomed to that that we don't see it anymore. And so, as far as I remember, he he was the one that was like trying to you know have a lever uh, to to just break these automatic processes and and get get into the deep structure of everything. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it was really very much throwing a spanner in your machine um, right. just to see how it, how it works. Um, you know, not to kill it, not to, you know, kind of do anything crazy, but 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 sometimes to see how one one works and the habits and all of the automatic thought, you, you just need to find a way to arrest it. 
So you can see it. You can start to see that space in between. What the hell is there? Um, and you can't open that up when there's just constant streams of, of habits and thoughts and reactions and because it, it just swallows everything up. And when those little spaces do open up, it can, well, at least for me, can be harrowing. It's like, what the was that? Yeah. And you got to deal with it. you got to deal with it. You've got to try to find a way to accept it, not justify it, not make excuses for it. That's just what it is. You need to man up, grow up, and own it. It's hard, very difficult. Yeah, I mean, that's what, what's so appealing for me, do, you doing this course, because, I mean, people just, spirituality-wise, gloss over their own psyche, you know, and, and try to put a nice mantra on it or like a nice ribbon or whatever. But that's not what it is. You know, you have to be, you know, the, the eggshell has to be broken, you know, and and that is not, that is always a painful process. And the more painful it is, you know, the more... um revelatory it becomes and that's the yeah. that's a strange strange things that happen yeah yeah and in i i feel in the west you know we have this aversion to pain and suffering but it's i mean it's part and parcel of of life and for me anyway once you kind of get over that a little bit it's it's not that not that bad um you know in, in a sense all of those key moments of of, of life um are the ones that you really go through something intensely um, but you come out the other side going, I'm glad I had that experience. It really showed me something. Right. But you have to be careful as well. You know, there's there's there's, there's lots of people I've I've seen and, and even work with who you want to want to storm the gates of heaven and and do all sorts of crazy things and end up doing great harm to themselves. So one needs to bring a great deal of intelligence to it, but at the same time, a great deal of discipline and kind of bravery. You know, you, you you need to see your vulnerabilities, and that's that's tough. It's just tough. Yeah, I was thinking about the title of the course being "The Hard Way," and how that is such an anti-marketing message. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we're we're trying to sell a course here, yeah, and we're doing it in the most anti-marketing type of way. You know, but yeah. uh, but I, I actually, I think people are longing. Uh, sometimes for, for, for the hard way, because they're unhappy with the easy way, <laughs> in a sense, like they're, they're unhappy with just going through the motions. And, and even if they're in a very nice bubble or nice situation, they, 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 there's this gnawing sense of emptiness. So, uh, so, so there, there's a need for a challenge, there's a need for, 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 for the hard way, because if we don't move towards the hard way, at least in, in some way, you, you know, you, you end up kind of like in that Tolstoy story, the general who dies, he's on his deathbed and he just has nothing but regrets. Yeah, yeah. No, you, 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 I think you end up, you know, turning soft. Um, and I don't mean soft in a, a hardened way, but, but, but soft is something has remained unexamined. You don't, you don't really know. Um, what's inside. And so there's all these dark spaces that you know you need to look at, but you never do. And 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 it creates all sorts of anxiety. And and coming back to maybe one of your points, Andrew, yes, when I was when I was taking a business course, the the marketing person said there are two things you never ever say that it'll be hard and it'll take a long time. 
Unless you're doing porno pornography, then it is supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the exception to the rule. Pornography is the exception. <laughs> and with pornography, you're hard and it's pretty fast, though. <laughs> it's kind of easy. It is. But it is it it is it is true, and and certainly my my journeys, and and maybe it's people who do have that spiritual yearning of needing to find a way to self challenge, and and understand implicitly that anything that's worth anything is hard to do, because if this spiritual stuff was easy, uh, the world would be a, a very very different place. But the fact that it's just really difficult. Um, and and few want to rise to the challenge or are capable to, and I don't mean that in a a competitive performance sense, um, but that real courage to turn inwards and look at what's there, and to keep looking, and it, it's that's it's tough. It's just tough. So can you talk a little bit about um, your course and um, what's 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 the objective and and what are your ideas? So that yes, it's it was kind of born out of some of the 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 work uh, that Andrew and I have been involved with 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 the reading group and and other things through Parallax as well as some of my experiences. But I have found that mainly on the internet or courses, uh, the presentation of Gurdjieff is academic. There's lots of quoting from his books or other books, and it's passed off as someone's wisdom. Um, I, I find that while it's helpful to an extent, I also find it very, very limiting uh, because he he himself, uh, you know, said we, we, we need to find a way to turn his material into ours and, and to bring it into ourselves in such a way as it becomes part of us. Otherwise, it's always... Gurdjieff. <laughs> it's 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 always at a little bit of a distance. So uh, the sense was to really offer something in the course that was uh, quite practical. Uh, that is something uh, through the course that we could try, and there will be a series of exercises and other things that we will do, which will really look at some of the tenets of attention and the inner world and consciousness uh, and the body and feelings, but also look at some of the key ideas that he he had. So this idea of being asleep, um, which I think is is taken too narrowly and, and it's worthwhile to take a step back and have a little bit of a look at that more broadly. What does that really mean? What did he really mean by that? And more importantly, how we can verify it for ourselves. Uh, and then this sense of awakening, that idea of awakening, uh, which is a, a, a very odd term. Um, but again, there are ways to be able to verify that practically around what does it mean for me to awaken or to be more asleep. It's, there's, it's not in one state or the other. We fluctuate a great deal. And what are the conditions which support one or the other? Uh, and then we have a little bit of a look at uh, sex or the energy of sex and certainly his views on it, uh, but also some practical things. Um, and sex, at least 
from his point of view, and certainly my experiences, is, is probably the most misunderstood part of human nature. Um, and I think it's, a, it's, it's quite an area to explore, but it needs a great deal of preparation. But anyway, it's, it's, it's good to explore that. And then also his ideas of the development of a soul, which he took as very matter of fact and very practical um, and, and really tried to allay some of the fantasy that is around this thing called a soul because it gets thrown around in so many different ways. It's, it's just loaded with all sorts, of, all sorts of meaning. So it's really coming at it from that, from that point of view. And then looking at his idea of God, which is, from what I can understand from Gurdjieff, very unique about what God is and isn't and, and why maybe humans were put on this earth or even just life in general. And then this notion of service, what does it mean to serve? Uh, what does it mean to serve consciously? And what does it mean to serve in such a way as that it can help me as an individual, very, very practically help me as an individual, my community, and maybe even some service to some higher form of life. Uh, so those are kind of some of the central uh, pillars, if you like, of the Gurdjieff work, which I find are quite unique to him, though it's, it's shared in many other spheres. Uh, he very much tries to align all of those things. There are many other things that he, he he talks about and certainly in practice, but if you wanted to to boil it down, uh, those kind of ideas and those practices around the ideas are something that, that really puts things on a, a pretty good um, kind of playing field if you ever wanted to explore his work in a more practical way, which inevitably must be practical. Um, if it just stays as an intellectual concept, then it can really go nowhere. Right. So that's uh, Andrew, the thrust of it. Can I just make a comment, Andrew, before you ask a question? Mm -hmm. No, no, because, I mean, uh, I, I don't want to be, you know, too humorous or, or, you know, but the idea of the phallus, so which the philosopher Alexander Bartlott, um, you know, uses a lot in order to... Uh, express a kind of strong, aggressive, but also like a way to challenge, you know, societal norms at that specific time. And for me, you know, these these three people, uh, uh, Gurdjieff, Aurobindo, and Crowley, were, you know, at that time, such phallic forces to challenge our notions of of what spirituality means, because they all yeah. had some some hardness to it and some you know some some effectiveness to to them and so and also they they kind of mirrored each other in, in a kind of weird ways biographically sometimes they met each other it's very weird and so it's like i i like these uh, uh this this double connotation of something that is hard but also which is in a in a metaphorical sense phallic in a way to ex, uh, to have an exodus of you know the, your automatic way of doing things you know like to leave that behind to to express something unique and find something you need and, and i always think of these three persons as you know like a like a like a i don't know the, the, as a trifecta of of modern spirituality in a kind of way that's just a comment that like you know <clears throat> yeah interesting yeah yeah 
Um, Anyhow, Andrew, I didn't want to interrupt what you were saying. <clears throat> oh, well, you know what? Yeah, the, what just to add to what you were saying, I think the phallic nature, if it's not present in a master, is kind of, it does degenerate into sort of like this feminine spirituality, which seems to be very popular right now, which is entirely feminine, entirely about care, about love, about protection about all that and, and that's equally as important but the two have to be full, you know fully fully balanced you know my my own teacher said once that you have to become 100% feminine and 100% masculine at the same time right to be that, that and i think there is something about uh, gurdjieff that also is very motherly and aurobindo as well and um and, and, you know there's a motherly quality to to these these figures which is interesting as well so it's they they're able to be completely ferocious, you know, and, 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 and caring simultaneously. Yeah. 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 Gurgis, you know, idea around the energy of, of sex and there's a number of ways he, he kind of puts it, you know, it's the, the primal potent force of all life. Um, the chief, the chief source of our freedom, but also can be the chief source of our prison. And, and it's it's really this sense of if we have a balanced nature, if we can find relationship between the, the mind, the emotions, the body, is that that potency of that force will find its place accordingly and energise something in a way that can't be done in any other way. And for him, the modern world, because in his view we're so lopsided, um, is not that it's it's that sex is wrong in any way, shape, or form. It's just that we're so um, kind of disharmonious that that potency of energy that comes in can't find its proper place. So it goes into all sorts of odd places, into vehemence, into violence, into all sorts of strange things, which eventually turn in on itself. So he, he paid particular attention to if this, this great force that moves everyone and all of life to be able to occupy a place in me where it can do its job, where it can work through me in a way that aligns itself with something higher and lower, then my work is to balance myself out a bit. His notion of man number four a balanced man, a man who's who's got a relationship between all parts of him himself. Still imperfect, but enough of a relationship, enough of a balance that these higher energies can come in and do something through us as well as support something in us. So it changes this notion of we can manipulate these higher forces he says we cannot, but what we can do is prepare the way, prepare our house to make it a home so that this, this energy can come in and live appropriately. Is that what he meant with the fourth way? I, I don't remember what that was. What what was the fourth way? Yeah, well, the, the fourth way, um, if you'd like, is the 
there's a couple of ways, and this goes right back to the early teaching he had in Russia, which was recorded by Ospensky. Um, but he says, just broadly speaking, that through the normal course of life, everyone gets lopsided in some way, shape or form. And so there's the, if you'd like, the person of the mind, the intellect. Uh, there's also the person who's uh, more in their feeling or the emotions and someone who's more in the body. So someone who's more in the body might be more of the athlete. Someone who's more in the feeling is more of the artist. Someone who's more in the mind is more of the academic. Um, and he's he kind of broadly says that that's just where life takes people. You find your niche, your skill, and and whatever natural talents that you have. But the fourth way is trying to find a way to connect all three and to balance them. So if one is uh, someone of the mind, then finding ways to develop the feeling and the emotions in the body to a requisite level that things become a little bit more kind of balanced. If you're more in the body, then you try to do the same with feeling and with thought. So there's this relationship that starts to build. Uh, one recognises that I'm a little bit out of whack and I just need to find my way back to the centre. And how do I do that? By trying to engage these other parts of me. But before I do that, I need to see them. How do I see them? Then it comes back to your point, Tom, about habits and associations. I might think I'm feeling something, but maybe it's just a reaction in the mind. But what does it really mean to feel? Uh, what is it, these states of being that we have, what does it really mean to be in the body? And so the fourth way is trying to be intelligent in every situation and opportunity to find a way to relate all of the parts of myself that eventually can coalesce something else, a fourth way, a fourth part of me. The beginning of this rudimentary infrastructure of a soul that can tap into all of those natural talents that I might have, but is able to recognise that I'm, I'm not that. I'm not my mind. I'm not my body. I'm, I'm not my feelings. Something that's centred behind them, this, this I that he talks about. I mean, that, then, I mean, that is exactly the change in spirituality in the turn of the century. This is exactly mm -hmm. what also Aurobin and also, you know, yes. Crowley brought to the table. It's like, it's like different different tonalities and a different taste but the general idea to step out of you know the monodimensional approach to religiosity and spirituality to have a more integral and a more encompassing approach that was new that was you know that was the new mimetic kind of idea that emerged around the globe basically you know and yeah. and and it is it is interesting how all these all these things emerged kind of at the same time. It was like right. a divine presence seeding all of these ideas in very different ways, but a common theme. We are out of whack and we need to find a way to come back. We need to restore a balance because we ourselves are out of balance. And then that just reflects the out of balance in the world, what we do to our environment, what we do to ourselves and, and all those sorts of things. And that was that was really kind of Gurdjieff's take. How, how can we get there quickly? We need to find a way to get there quickly because time is not on our side. The industrial age just quickened everything. The digital age is quickening things even more. 
and and what used to take maybe centuries um, now now needs to be done in in a matter of years. It's it's so this is the pressing need. So what about the digital age and uh, uh, Gertjeff? This is an interesting um, area, I think, and something that you've thought about because you've been one of the a lot of the Gertjeff people, or you know, people from let's say alternative spiritual communities would like to leave the digital age and like go off and, and do meditation and they they would like to you know they, they're, they're fairly negative about everything that's happening but uh it, it's happening <laughs> so so it's like <laughs> you can't avoid it and uh and so you I, I think you've made some kind of conscious choice to to work in, in, in with to do digital stuff with the Gurdjieff work which is yes. so much based on embodiment and and digital the digital world sort of throws us out of the body so often and and continually um and there's a kind of attention there and and so i'm yeah i'm wondering about that yes well uh, well gurdjieff used the metaphor of the day you know we talked about man machine i mean in the industrial age you know all the machines and he used all of these kind of para parables and metaphors that were very much back then and even in Bulgy Bub's tales, he used things like data, you know, which really was an uncommon term back then. And he alludes to a number of things which um, have really come to pass in the digital age. But I, I feel, yes, it, this isn't going away. We need to find a way to work with it and have it not work with us. Um, and that's the real risk here um, is that all this stuff runs away with us. But I, I've, I've found in the last three or four years being very active with this um, and, and, and I had a bit of an aversion to it, but I've found some very interesting things. Um, I'm hoping to validate um, some other things, but I, I feel as though it's, it's a medium with great promise. At the moment, it's not used well, I don't think, um, just more broadly. Uh, but I, it's, yeah, I think there's some great promise. I'm optimistic, anyway. Hmm. Very good. The other thing I was going to ask you about is, is um, oh, I, well, I was sharing, you know, uh, the, uh, about this course on various Facebook pages, and I discovered there's literally hundreds of Gurdjieff groups out there on yeah. Facebook, and then there must be many more that are not on Facebook. and. So, uh, so, so that was that was a surprise to me uh, that there were so many groups, and uh, so I was sh I was sharing you know uh, information about our course, and um, some people almost attacked me in the sense of like who's this Luke guy you know what credentials does he have how dare he speak about Gurdjieff, and uh, uh, it was very interesting that there was these there were these Gurdjieff purists out there. Uh, almost on the war path and yeah. um, so I was wondering about that and uh and I, and I think you can I think you, your credentials are, are, are fine <laughs> as far as I can tell um so but maybe you <laughs> want to address that yes I, th I think like in anything in life um and I think there's there's a very interesting point with the the um the Gurdjieff work and where it stands now and and I've seen this probably over the last 20 years of the purists or the preservationists 
who want to crystallise everything and put everything into a box and thou shalt not say anything uh, except what Gurdjieff says and, and thou shalt not do any anything else in terms of practice apart from what he, he brought, which for, for me is very anti-Gurdjieff. Um, you've only got to read his life and what he says. His life was a continual experiment on how to bring something and what does work mean. And he was working all the way up to the end of his life, even when he when he died, constantly encouraging people to 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 grapple with what he brought and to make something of their own with it, not just parrot it, not just put it into a shrine. And and he he didn't want to be any of that. He wanted to throw something into the future that would be useful. And it's not useful if it's just parroted. You've, you've got to make something for yourself. In saying that, uh, it's it's also a risky move because people will use it and abuse it in all sorts of ways. So how do you keep the essentials and yet allow this freedom to explore this, which I just find amazing wealth uh, of, of knowledge and practices that, that he, he brought. Um, so I, I think this is a real question for the Gurdjieff work. And I knew that as soon as I put my head up in public, it would get whacked. So that's okay. Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, but for me, it's a, it's a really a question for those people. Um, it, it, this should really be about their own work. And, and I'm convinced that if one is working in as, as best as one possibly can, that's the best example. That will shine through, even yeah. if it's clumsy and crude and you miss the mark and all that. We're all human. Yeah. But if there's a genuine work, it will be felt. And, and that is what transmits the work, not all this other stuff. Well, this is why I asked you to do the course based on a personal feeling. It wasn't based on your credentials. I didn't give a shit about your credentials. I mean, <laughs> in, in a sense, right? I just said, oh, this guy, Luke, you know, has, has seems very, very sincere and practiced and, and very, you know, has a, has a, has a clear uh, vision of, of things. And that just was my feeling. And so I was very surprised to get this question and because that's how I operate. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, just, I'm not going to look at somebody's CV or anything like that, you know. Um, but I guess there are dangerous people out there teaching Gurdjieff work, uh, you know, being very manipulative, and that probably it's, exists. Yeah, um, it's and it's it's like anything, and the the Gurdjieff work is not immune to it. And I'm 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 more cautious now of the pedigree that one has, and you know the the CV. Uh, maybe more so when I was a little bit younger, because I've been witness to people who've so-called been in the work for many years and 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 really I don't think they've kind of bettered themselves in any way shape or form um, and yet others who may have had a brief excursion into the work and it's really supported something and you've seen them bloom so I don't think there's a formula uh, and and I don't think that kind of pedigree or a, a long CV of who's who in the zoo uh, is really any or gives any good sense of, of what that person's trying. I think at the end of the day, you just need to to meet with someone and work with them and you'll find out. Yeah, and I think it, it does have something to do with the sense of humor, which was how our kind of our conversation began because people who don't have a sense of humor become very, uh, you know, fundamentalist on some level, mm. right? And, and Gershel, excuse me, was a was a rascal, as as Alan Watts said. You know, 
he was he was such a rascal and and if you take him on on a first degree literalist perspective you know you're you're gonna be an idiot i mean <laughs> you really aren't, don't understand him if you if you if you're interpreting him literally yeah and 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 his life was one of living everything to the fullest you know being a rascal um you know, there was times he had, you know, out there having sex with every man and his dog and then, you know, and then he was kind of abstinent for a while and then he'd do all of these. But it, it was life. I, I heard one story and I I don't know where I've read this, but I've, I've heard it where he wanted to get in trouble with the police just to have the experience of what it was like to be thrown in jail for a while. You know, it, it, he really had this sense and certainly some of the, the people that I've had the privilege of of working with really bring that sense. No matter what it is, they just they just want to be engaged with it. <laughs> they they want to they want to squeeze everything out of it, <laughs> you know. And, and it's wonderful. There's a joy there. There's a real joy in their work, where those people who do take the hard line, in that sense, uh, something goes wrong in them, become you know something really does harden. Uh, and it's it's no longer joyful. Work ends up being a chore, and I I, I don't see work that way. Yeah. It seems to me. And the... when you say work, you're talking about the work. The which is uh, maybe for our listeners, Gertrude talked about the work being the spiritual work, right? Not just you know your job. Well, I yeah. I think I think for Gurdjieff, and certainly this is the way I see it. It might start with the Gurdjieff work, but then everything ends up being work. Yeah. Everything in life is an opportunity to to work and in, in, engage in some way, shape, or form. But when one starts to say, "Oh, well, that's not work," but this is work, or you know, that's not Christian, or this isn't Christian, or all of these kind of barriers and lines and borders that people erect around these things, something gets gets lost in that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it you know. It, the intelligence that needs to be brought to bear on these things is just a constant demand, and that opens up something. Uh, not to be rigid, but at the same time to be cautious. Tom, you were going to say something, no? Ah, no. It was just a just a thought that you know. Uh, but my feeling is that. Uh, philosophy of Gurdjieff that's cut out for Australians, isn't it? You know, being adventurous, you know, <laughs> seems to me. Because you like to wrestle with crocodiles with your bare hands. Exactly. <laughs> Gordon, in the did, he, did he say anything about the Australians and Belzebub in that book? Uh, yeah, he, yes, he did, I think. Um, something about convicts in Australia. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you well, know. that's the, that's the gold. <laughs> Taking the piss out of us pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Roasting us, roasting us, which is what he did. <laughs> yeah. so, which is he good. roasts we everybody, did. doesn't he, in one way or yeah. another. Yeah. Yeah. And roasts himself too. And, and, and yeah. Yeah. It was, he was extraordinary at being able to level the playing field um, and, and show people for what they were, which is we're all in the same boat. We're all human, imperfect, and and that's that's just the way it is. So how do we work work with it? I mean, also, I mean, it's a little bit off topic, but the books in itself, you know, you never read, you never find those books. I mean, I've read Belzebub, which is a 
which is a weird, <laughs> weird book with a completely new invented language, if you want to call it. The narrative yeah. is strange. All about that book is very challenging and interesting. And then you have, you know, his quasi-autobiographical book where he meets you know, these string of very interesting people and you never know, okay, is that, are that sub-personalities of him? Is that his journey towards enlightenment? Or, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a very different book. It's super interesting. And then then there's this book, I don't know what's the English title, uh, the the um, Life is Only Real When I Am, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. And what is, what, and I was, it was mind-blowing to me because he, he, uh, uh, constructs this weird argument and then the book um, stops in the middle of the sentence uh, uh, <laughs> right like interrupting and doing exactly what it's proposing to do in the first 200 pages and so you're left <laughs> with a blank thing it's like what is that I'm, I have a life changing experience right now you know and so you never find those books you know it's like if you read spirituality books nowadays they're all from the same cloth that's like it's the same voice. Everybody copies everybody, you know, anybody else. And it's like this. But then you have these weird gems of literature, which is like it's it's um, for me as as I'm working with books. It's just it's just great, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, he he does it. I can remember reading uh, "Life Is Real" only then when I am the first couple of times and going through a torrent of emotion be reading a chapter being frustrated and then going, what's he saying here? And then I found myself crying in another section and then and then yet left hanging. Left yeah. hanging. Yeah. Like, dude, what like man, come <laughs> exactly. on. Like, just give me a breadcrumb. No. Nah, no. Nah. Yeah. Sorry, mate. You're gonna have to find that one for yourself, buddy. I, I'm uh, reading Beezlebub again. And I hadn't read it that for a long time. And uh it's a completely diff different experience reading it than the first time I read it. I feel like I'm reading a different book, like completely different. First of all, I and I I can it. I don't understand it. I'm not saying I understand it, but this time I kind of under I, I can understand more of it. First time I read it, I felt like I didn't understand a single word. <laughs> you know, second, but yeah. this time I'm reading it. I'm just like, okay, was I I'm getting a clue here and a clue here and a clue. I, I, I kind of get where this is going a little bit that there's some sort of maybe because I, I know I know his work a little bit. So so I, I get a, the feeling that there's some sort of conclusion to this chapter, you know, where I'm not being thrown off a cliff completely. So it's it's a little bit more clear to me upon the second reading, um, which is very, very interesting. And it's very, very interesting that you could read the same book and and it, it having it be yeah. an entirely different kind of experience. And I bet you if I read it in 10 years, it would be the same thing. I just it would be reading an entirely different book, <laughs> you know, because because it's like what is speaking to you is speaking, you know, to your whole being on some level, which is that's what's rare about that kind of a book. It's not an ordinary book. It's not like, um, as Tom was saying, it's not like one of these spiritual books where they, you know, on radical they, honesty or radical whatever. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like no, fuck off. It I doesn't lay things out in this explicit, you know, obvious series of cliches. Um, it, it sort of challenges you on every level. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I've I don't know how many times I've read it, and each time. It's like I've never read it. How did I miss that? Like that it was so obvious how. How did I miss it? And it, it is. Is There's this layering 
And there's something very interesting that it's almost like one requires certain experiences first to understand certain passages or how they link. And all of a sudden there's this blooming of, oh, okay, because he said it there, he said it there, he said it there, and this experience I've now had connects them. And then I can I can I can move on. But it's most people read the first page and, and then throw the book in the fire. But it, yeah. it, it, if if one can stick with it and read it in the way that it was meant to be read, which is also very difficult, the book itself becomes a practice, uh, which yeah. is extraordinary. There's one yeah. other issue that I you know you know talking about uh, the hard way because and it, this is a recurring topic in the conversation that I have with Andrew or Andrew with me is that there's a you know that we lost something in terms of of art of of real men of real adventures because we are all in that digital world we are all so soft you know we it's like if you read the biography of hemingway what he actually did you know that this kind of uh, uh exchange and 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 you know these endeavors that he had in the world you know all these adventures and and you you read the the biographies of of Gurdjieff or of crowley or, or these people that really were engaged with the world in a in a in a consequential way they would not fear mm. the consequences of their actions and sometimes they knew there were dire ones you know so but we are so we're so embedded in you know in softness and you know uh, the the cultural luxury that we have you know and maybe that's different for you being an Australian because also that's the cliche of the you know alligator wrestling kind of australian but i mean it's like to for 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 the young generations to really go out to have these real tough adventures that challenge you because you don't you go into the city you don't have an app you know you don't know what the city is about so you have mm. to interact with the city you have to find out okay where the good place where the bad you don't have the maps you don't have the the smartphone and so That was, I, I feel like I was in the last generation that I could explore a new city, just in that, which is not a big thing, but it was something that would shape you, you know, to go the first time into Paris and you know nothing about this, right? Yeah, and, and people's screen times is like six to eight yeah. hours a day. Young, young people, their screen time is, I was talking to this guy, he had a 22-year-old girlfriend And he was trying to convince her to, to, to you know, go, go off off her phone, you know, occasionally. Um, she just couldn't do it. She, people live on, you know, online so much. It's, no, of course, they're not having real life adventures if they're on, you know, on their phone eight hours a day. Um, yeah. yeah, and to and, go and into the desert, that's what I mean. You yeah, know, in the yes. terms of, of, of Gurdjieff or, or Crowley or whatever. It's like you go into the desert, you don't know what it happens, and you challenge yourself. You might die. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. might happen. Well, yeah, I guess we have to be that serious if we're in, really interested in the spiritual path, right? Yeah, it's well, yes, my experience is often you've got to put everything on the line or or risk a great deal. It, it's just the way it is. Uh, otherwise, you don't really have the experience of what it means to risk, which I think is an important part of that adventure and that challenge. And I think for me anyway the sense in this new kind of digital space is how to help support those inward challenges in this kind of digital landscape 
landscape, uh, the digital kind of digital, the digital desert. <laughs> if we don't have one, it, it, so that's. And I think there's, or well, my sense is there's, there's opportunities for that. Um, but this this new world that we're all merging into, and I also feel Tom that you know, kind of the last um, the last breed to to really um, kind of go into the wilds because most young people don't have those opportunities now. Is 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 how can that be supported? How can a a form of work be supported in an environment like this that can be uh, helpful, but also be taken out into the world? And it's I I think that's the that's what people are yearning and seeking for. Just jumping online after a while gets very barren and dry. You know, it it loses something. It's just information. But to come to something and be challenged and okay, can I take this away? Can I somehow take advantage of this for my own growth in in life? It, very very difficult. But I think that's that's what's needed. I don't have any answers, but but it needs to be explored. Yeah, you can't have the the real challenge within the sangha in the safety confinements of the sangha and the group. You can't have that. You 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 have to yeah. learn the tools and the methods. But the real challenge is when you leave it, and you yes. and 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 you enter the forest on 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 your own account on your own, you know, endangerment, and then you try to find the holy grail, whatever. You know, it's like you, but it's, 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 it's the, it's the, um, how, how do you say this? Um, yeah, it's an, it's an adventure. It's a dangerous adventure. Yeah. But you do need the Sangha though, because, because that's the Knights of the Round Table, you know, who get together and then, then they go off in their own direction, uh, and, and find the Holy Grail. Um, yeah. so, I, and I think sometimes it's hard everybody's very isolated these days in a way, even though they're sort of hyper-social in a, in a pseudo way and that they they need to come back to they need to reinvent community in, in some kind of a way so that can often be like the holy grail is finding some kind of authentic uh, you know relationships with people in a group it's very difficult yeah yeah and you know it is it's it's very hard to hold that space there's a an inner an inner effort that's needed to hold a a safe, nourishing space that then allows, as you said, Tom, people to then go out, explore. That's really where the real work is in life and then come back and almost take a bit of a breath and, and have a chance to, to reflect and share on that in a different way and then go out again and come back and go out and just a series of quests, if you'd like. And that seems to be missing my sense is, Everyone's looking for the quest inside of a group. The, the quest is life. Yeah. The group supports something of that quest, but but it's the quest that's the most important thing. Yeah, individuality is not uh, is, is frowned upon. You know, in the in, you know the adventures of the individual, everything is community. And the next Buddha, this uh, Buddha is the Sangha, and you know we all have we space communities and all that. And and and, and I know it, it's important to some degree. But I mean, if if these people, Arubindo, good, if, if they showed us anything, you have to find your way, and you there all, there's only one way to do it. It's the hard way, you know. It's like you have to be have to be get shaped by adventure and by 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 quests, 
basically and i mean it's 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 hard to say but um i i, I still feel and i said that that our spiritual understanding and what's out there do not reflect that very aspect of of the the spiritual journey yeah yeah i was thinking of alex ebert when you were talking who he, he's a he's kind of a, a well-known musician and uh, also a friend of ours and he uh he became a junkie at one point of his life and he he said the reason he became a junkie was because his life he came he was brought up with too much comfort and safety and like it wasn't because he had a terrible childhood it's because he had a comfortable childhood <laughs> you know that he didn't have that he didn't he there, there was no one putting him giving him a, a you know a a rites of passage and, and putting him in the wild or any of that. So he, he what people do that on their own. Uh, people yeah. go off and in, in, into danger, not knowing what they're doing with no guidance, of course. And, and, uh, and so, uh, so, so eventually he cleaned up and, but, uh, but, but that was sort of a death ritual that he needed to, he calls it, a, he calls it a death ritual that he needed to go through in order to feel like, you know, an authentic autonomous individual person who could, I got I, I, who could you know um I guess I guess he just needed that you, need, you have to die and be reborn in these adventures like you have to you have to in a way experience the death of your all of your automatisms and psychosomatic structures and um, and that's why I'm always critical about men groups and bodybuilders because it's you know they try to emulate that uh and sometimes men groups are good but again it's like the bodybuilder is not the representation of the adventurous man uh in the world as the man group is not a substitute for the challenge that you have when you face chaos itself and so it's like it's it's it, you know what i mean it's like weird simulacras of the real thing no I think the men's groups are very unusual because they're 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 uh, they they don't exist in normal societies. They only exist in a, in our contemporary society because we don't have that. Because that is a normal thing, right? From for a bunch of guys to get together and support each other and separate from from females, right? You know, you have it in football. You have it. You have it everywhere. Uh, there's there's you know. But but in the in the in the postmodern world that's it's just absent, right? So people have to recreate that in some kind of a way. That would be my defense of the men's group is that they, they you have to they have to recreate this this thing that is lacking in the, in their lives, not because it it's it, because it's a it's just a, just another structure that's essential um, in order for a person's growth. Um, yeah, there, there does seem to be that yearning for a tribe. You know, particularly yeah. among among men, it is is it's something pretty primal. But the the thing I've you know I've been amazed about work, and when I say work, not only the Gurdjieff work, but if there's work in life or a business, and I'm involved in in many, that somehow that the vehicle of work and and trying to collaborate in something brings with itself a certain quality that can really nourish what would normally be in a tribe because right. you're working towards something. And, and in a sense, that's kind of what what kind of Gurdjieff was about, this always having an aim, having a purpose, 
Every exercise one tries, one tries to understand why mm. one is doing it and for what purpose, not just meditating for the sake of it, but why am I doing it? Why am I getting up in the morning? Why am I, why am I trying to relate this? It's bringing everything into a package and then, then one's life becomes work and then one can connect with other people's work. And so work, in a sense, becomes the try because it circulates and nourishes if it's you know, done in a, a, healthy, a healthy way. In the absence of that, you need the physicality of tribes. You know, you need the bodybuilders and gyms. You you need the the football players because they they can't get it in any other way. In that in that sense, and so because one can't uh, channel that work or the the collaborative kind of effort in that in that way, you need the material reinforcement. <laughs> you know, kind of bodies in a in a room or on a on a playing field. Uh, doing all sorts of crazy things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So what about like, like uh, just a question, maybe coming back to your course, um, uh, maybe what do you think, what do you think the people going through your course, what will, what will they learn? What will they, I mean, I guess it's up to each person to learn what they, what they, put into it but what what would what do you expect somebody to learn in your course um well yes being a, a caveat on um that whatever they bring and how much effort they engage is what they will get out of it what my hope would be is to have more of an appreciation of just how hard the hard way is and an appreciation of that all of the spiritual marketplace, most of it is is just a crock of shit. Um, not they're not saying anything nice, and but but when you really get down to the tic tacs, there is a reason why changing human nature is really difficult. And people have been trying it for thousands of years because they understand that without it, we descend into something monstrous. So what's the encouragement here? Because someone might be crushed by that kind of a vision. Like I often, I often feel crushed by the vision of what it takes to engage in these kind of things, right? Well, I think, and this is certainly my experience, is that with the harrowing appreciation of, of all of that, that, that there is real hope. But I can't see that hope until I go through the harrowing because I'm blind to it. It's like mm. Gurdjieff says that we are asleep. And, of course, everyone goes, of course not. I'm conscious and awake and I'm enlightened and, you know, I've been to university, so therefore I'm a smart person. I'm in control of my life and master of my own destiny. And he would say that's codswallop. When <laughs> codswallop. You that, that, that you are asleep and really see it for yourself and it hits you and really see it, then you get an appreciation of those rare moments of when I'm a little less asleep and something can come through, another quality. And then that quality can be the focus of one's work in amongst everything else to try to nurture and nourish. Things like how important it is to listen uh, there's a saying in in the work: no one has been accused of listening too much. 
You know, there's this deep need to listen, but how do we listen? How do, how do we really listen to someone? Well, we, we need to have those experiences, but first we need to see how we don't listen. How that when someone is speaking, and if it's certainly if it's me, I'm just waiting for the next space to speak. I'm waiting for them to shut up so I can I can talk. We do that all also, the time. Also, also women interrupting each also, other. Also, also, <laughs> women find a way to accuse you of that. There's always a way that <laughs> that women find a way to say, "Oh no, you're just listening. Do something, man." You know, or they're just saying you're not present. You're not here. <laughs> yeah, you're, with not, me. you're not. You're not. You're not active <laughs> enough. You know, just you're so passive. You're so introverted. You're listening. You're just listening. I'm just making yeah. fun now. No, 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 and it's and 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 it's true, and 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 it's good that we can make fun of it, but but also you know the, there's a serious side to that to that humor is well what does it mean to listen? I mean to really listen, um, and to really be present. Um, there, there seems to be something required. You can't force yourself. It's like trying to force yourself to relax. <laughs> it, there's there's another effort that's needed. And it can't come through force. It comes through something else. So I'm hoping out of the course that there's these two kind of opposite impressions. One, how hard it is. But two, that there is a way, but it will take a long time and it will be difficult, but persevere. Yeah. And also when you get those glimpses, I think there's a positive kind of desperation. It's like, Oh fuck! I'm in a burning house. I got to get out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, this is like this is intense. You know, the way that the things are right now is the the level of uh, the level of insanity basically in the world. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's there doesn't seem to be a defense against it. As you were saying, Tom, it's you know so soft. You know, we haven't been able to check that, that we're, we're just open to anything. And when we're open to anything and we, we have no spiritual muscle inside of us, it, it, then it's no wonder things get crazy and anything goes. So, it you know, um, and, and certainly, and certainly Gurdjieff said this a hundred years ago that if, you know, I've, I've always remembered this. I think there's something deep there that the, the the energy of the West and the knowledge of the East must come together. Now that's very interesting. Mm. The energy of the West and the knowledge of the East. And yeah. in a sense, it's coming back to the the feminine, the masculine, there's there's something that's been divided and compartmentalized. And we need to find a way to relate it in ourselves first. Otherwise there's no hope for the outer world. Mm -hmm. Hey Tom, have you heard that quote from Alan Watts, which I love about about Gurdjieff? Do you know that quote, Luke? Yes, yes, um, yeah. Can, yeah. Can I can I can I read it and then just we can close yes. and you can make a, some final final comments? Definitely. Okay, okay. So he says Gurdjieff was a magnificent old rascal who lived a joyous life, and most of his disciples lived extremely restricted, rigid, and serious lives. Because the object of Goethe's method was to weed out those who understood from those who did not, and those who understood went away, and those who did not, those who did not understand remained. 
Gurdjieff laid a trap for people who think that the purpose of life is power. That is to say, to control everything. And he beguiled them with the idea that they were all asleep and not fully controlled of their own processes and their own organism. And he assigned them the impossible task of being the Lord God Jehovah, each one's self. He set them to doing this with great rigor. And he added to this the discipline of dances in which you could exercise every limb working on different rhythm to give yourself the illusion of omnipotence. But if you perceive, per persevered in these exercises hard enough, you would discover they were all nonsense, at which point you would have attained Gurdjieff's stage of illumination. <laughs> so that is, that is a very apt quote, Andrew. <laughs> I think it's a good quote for people who, you know, I think it's a good quote that, that they should have that before people started go before you join this course with Luke. <laughs> you should think about that. No? Yeah, true, true. Mm hmm. So well, thank any, you. Any just like any thoughts about that before I about that that quote or just on a serious level or? Well, yes. On a, I mean, I I have I've heard that quote a number of times and I do like it, and it very much reminds me uh, of what Gurdjieff had alluded to that his teaching is just simply when it rains you get wet. <laughs> 